This is a candid chat with print artist The Fandango Kid, aka Annie Nicholson, who makes large-scale narrative-driven pieces to create a platform around complex subjects such as grief, trauma release, mental health and gender constructs. Much of her work is driven by navigating her own story, following the tragic death of most of her family in a helicopter ride in New York in 2011. We talk about how grief is personal to every individual, sitting with our own grief and pain to allow healing and integrating it as part of our life experience and not letting grief define who we are as a whole. There's never been a moment where I would have that life back in in a flash, 100%. It's really about kind of making, finding some strength within what has happened, as opposed to sort of saying these things sort of happened for a reason, because I don't believe in that. I think it's, it's a tragedy and there is a great deal of trauma that has happened and unfolded that I would love to have not happened, but it has happened. And so going to such great depths, there has been, I I suppose, some, some beauty that has been found or some unexpected beauty, yeah. As ever, I'd love it if you could subscribe and rate this podcast as it really does help others to find it. So my first question is, why are you called the Fandango Kid? Because I've always wondered that. (laughs) <laughs> so that comes from um my mum used to call me Annie Fandango when I was a kid and I think just because of I don't really know it's like a sort of sweet thing and then um when I was finishing art school and I was saying to my dad oh, I don't know you know I want like a bit of a kind of alter ego and he we happen he happened to be watching this western film called the Durango Kid and it, I think he'd had a few glasses of wine and we just kind of put a couple of things together and it actually sounded right and it just stuck. So that that really. I love that. And it just sounds fun as well, doesn't it? It's Yeah, and it's nice to have, because the content is so heavy often, it's really nice to have a bit of distance from my actual name and my identity and more and more I'm really trying to find that balance and distance between what I put into the public realm and my actual identity Mm, yeah it's interesting isn't it I think it's helpful to do it like that as well because it's it I don't know whether allows you to be a bit braver as well doing it under your alter ego I think um, I think I've just really realized as the years go on that having a bit of separation from the content is really important for my own mental health because I often am talking about grief and I'm talking about trauma and the, the stuff that I talk about is stuff that I've kind of worked through and stuff that is sort of morally responsible to put into the world. But I think in doing that, because there's a lot of vulnerability, uh, a lot of people who sort of receive that publicly they kind of there are there are some issues in terms of boundaries and I think it's really important it's been become really important for me to have distance from from the content and just to be able to to step back mm. um, at the end of a talk or at the end of an installation or a panel or something like that it's it's really good to just um, yeah I've really had to kind of create a framework around it so that does help so I wanted to ask you about what happened what what's happened to you that you know if you, if you want to talk about it if you can talk about it because it's very relative to obviously everything that you are in your work and why you talk about grief and you know these difficult subjects through your work so yeah my my kind of 
direction and, and journey as an artist really shifted um, with the loss of my family in 2011. Um, and in that, in this singular accident, I lost um, almost all of them. So uh my my mum my sister and my sister's partner and my, my dad was in the accident but he didn't die in in that accident but he is he is dead now he had cancer so he yeah he died five years later it was an accident it was a my sister's 40th and they all went to new york and i was due to go but i actually the last minute had to work and they took like a helicopter ride around the city which is really unlike them but they did it for whatever reason and um and it crashed and it went down into the river and that's how they died wow and so yeah it's really i guess all my work has always been about intimacy and kind of human the human condition even prior to that although it's hard to remember now because it feels like two different lives but um yeah it, that really kind of shifted my my focus and because it was so all-consuming so yeah it, it was it's been something that I've been uncovering for, for many years now and do you think that so through you know through your work I guess you're working through your emotions and how you're feeling and you know for a creative it's so personal that work anyway isn't it because it is it's it is like a window to your it is your window to your soul isn't it I think initially I was going kind of into the street and doing paste-ups um, and telling stories in that way. And there was a real urgency to that time. And I kind of would get up in the middle of the night and I, re- I went back to New York where this happened and spent a long time there. And I have done over the years. I spent a long time in New York and still do. And, um, yeah, there, w- there was a real kind of sense of urgency to kind of put that work into the world and tell those stories and kind of, really honour those people specifically that I that I'd lost in situ so being in New York was really powerful and very healing and sort of reappropriating the the trauma as well and so it was a really really important time for me but then as time has gone on I mean I've done I've really kind of committed to trying to unravel it and felt that you know there is because I think it's a huge undertaking and I sort of felt like there was enough time in my life to do that. Whereas, you know, with my dad, he took a very different approach as he was kind of coming to the end of his life when this happened. So, yeah, so I think the unravelling of it has, what I put into the world tends to be things that I've kind of gone, things that I've processed and experiences that I've processed relating to trauma, perhaps years, years before. So it takes me a long time to put work into the world and for, for years after the accident, I kind of just filled sketchbooks and I didn't show anybody anything. Um, because like I said, I think there is, you do have a moral responsibility to have worked through your own trauma before you sort of put that into the public eye. Personally, I feel like that. How many, how many years was that, you know, between your fam, you know, most of your family dying and then processing that through you know your own thoughts and then taking that out publicly was that quite a long process yeah two two or three years before it even anything even kind of began and I so when everyone died I started doing some teaching because the raw pain of actually making art 
um, was just too too difficult and I, I didn't want to make it about anything else but I couldn't make it about that because I was you know when you're in the middle when you're in the midst of of trauma and pain and you're kind of locked into it you really just can't there's no perspective and you can't see a way out you can't you just have no no distance from it in order to kind of I mean it's really hard to make sense of anyway but in, in order to kind of unfold it and um, unpick it so it takes quite a long time to to step out and to be able to unravel it and for me it that was that was a good couple of years of actually teaching and I think I eventually kind of I start I sort of stepped away little by little um until I sort of fully went back to the studio which was probably the best move I've ever made <laughs> you know I think I, I never really quite felt I felt like I was in somebody else's body when I was when I was teaching and it just you know it was like um I kind of committed to a sort of suspended part of my life. I knew that that wasn't really who I was, but at the same time, I wasn't really ready to embrace the things that I was going to kind of become because I, it was just um, just too raw and too too volatile. I think the feelings within, and this, and in many ways, they still are. You know, sitting with pain and sitting with trauma is is a huge feat, and it's something that I think we all um, distract ourselves from fairly regularly, whether we realise that or not. So, and actually, sort of sitting still with it and uh, allowing that to move through the body, and then making work from that, and then putting that into the public, and sort of being open and vulnerable to that their response when that is about you know work about your life and your trauma, even though there is a universality to it. That takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of time and um you really have to be ready for all of the repercussions if you're going to do it I think what made I mean it's really interesting hearing you because a lot of people don't think like that with grief they like you say they want to get rid of it or try and get rid of it and distract themselves through whatever you know alcohol or going out or just sort of in, in a denial but did you have therapy to come to that realization, or was you, or were you your own therapy? It sounds like you were your own therapy. It's a combination. So I have um, been really committed to therapy for <clears throat> nearly ten years now. <laughs> At first, it was very intense, kind of trauma, um, trauma-specific therapy. Um, but I've seen the same woman now for for nearly ten years, and I used to see her sometimes even twice a week at the beginning and now I see her just when I want to which is maybe once every few months actually and there's a sort of we've built up a really sort of strong relationship and she knows all of my history so that's really really useful I think you know making the work is also a therapy there's also a catharsis in that and I think you know the approach of uh you know just wanting to get through grief as quick as possible and wanting it to kind of to be done with is just um it, I just, as much as I would love for that to be true, I just know that that's that's not a reality, and I and I have sort of accepted that because of the, I mean, not even because of the multitude of loss. Actually, um, you know, it could be one person, and I think you could carry it throughout your life. But for me, it will be with me forever, and I've kind of accepted that and tried to, rather than trying to, rather than being fearful of it arriving and when it comes and having those days where it takes you down which it did for many years now I try to just integrate it into so it's part of me so there's 
So really removing the fear around the feelings and allowing the feelings to kind of to enter because also as much as it's always with you, feelings, you know, specific feelings related to that are actually quite temporary. So I've, re- so I've kind of learned to not be afraid of mm. them because it's kind of, because it's a part of me. Yeah, and you can't deny that. You can't deny that part of you because it is you. Yeah, but there's also many other parts. So as much as there is, that's a very, you know, a heavy collection of feelings and there's a lot of sadness. Also very, very closely connected to that is a lot of love and because grief and love are so, so intertwined. And so actually when when the feelings, you know, when they do come, there is such a close connection between that and some really beautiful ones. So I'm really just, I try not to deny any of them, but that is kind of exhausting, particularly at the moment, because we really don't have any other choice, but to sort of sit with ourselves in general in this isolation. God, yeah. Just thinking that, how do you identify the, the feelings of grief from other stress and anxiety that you have? Like, um, you know, because there's so many, there's despair, guilt, shame, anger, isolation, disconnection, you know, it's it's endless. But so how do you break down those emotions, particularly at the moment as well, to say, is that me grieving? Or do you just recognise how those feelings when you're grieving, as opposed to all the other feelings that you have? I think a lot of the time they are kind of, intertwined and they are kind of connected with each other and sometimes you know it's too tiring to have to kind of you know dismantle every single one but I do recognize when I when something uncomfortable an uncomfortable feeling enters my body and I and then I would instantly initially go to distract myself by picking up my phone or doing something else or going out um, or doing something which is a kind of clear marker that it, that it's a distraction from the feeling. I think a lot of them. So so once you recognise that, you kind of the awareness sort of stops you from doing that. And I I think these things are they're they're all very bound up and they're all very layered and they kind of stack on top of each other. So sometimes there's, there's not always the time to pick them apart. But I think the more you sit with uncomfortable difficult feelings even you know feelings that are kind of traditionally deemed kind of quite ugly and unsavory particularly in British society the more you sit with them and the more you sort of just acknowledge that they're a part of you but they're not all of you the kind of the more you can almost like hold their hand and just make them sort of part of who you are and sort of say you know it's fine if you show up whenever you want because I think so much so much around grief being so for me is grief being so painful is involving fear and fear of that that sort of feeling showing up when you don't really when you're just trying to get on with work or your day or moving forward and and I think trying to work with the fear and removing the fear and kind of sit sit with what might be difficult and a little bit unknown is um is a really kind of rewarding thing I think a lot of therapists now are talking are, are doing engaging in practices that aren't necessarily about always intellectualizing grief and trauma and they're also engaging in much more physical processes and I think that's really really useful because I think we kind of deny the body a lot of feeling when it comes to grief 
and we we want to or many people me included at a certain time want to rationalize grief um because it sort of makes the brain feel safe and it makes then makes the sort of the psyche feel safe but um it is a, it's still very unknown because you're talking about a realm that we you know we're not part of because we're living so you have a glimpse into this sort of yeah this experience of of loss and death but it's there's still there's so many uncertain feelings and I think we want to rationalize them to make sense of them it's just not possible and it's weird well it's weird isn't it that body and your mind are not separate and our emotions are so powerful that our body follows those reactions you know those things are one and one affects the other um how what what happened to you physically and and emotionally how did you see that connection between the two it's only been fairly recently that i've kind of started to pay attention to the to the kind of bodily um feeling of grief and really trying to kind of engage with that i think there's a lot of fear and anxiety kind of circulating around grief for me and i feel that in in the throat and you know in in the kind of heart area and I think it's been interesting I've been listening in this isolation I've been listening to the body keeps the score a lot and I've already read it but to hear it is a very different thing and I think that's quite I think it really kind of hits you differently when you listen to stories around trauma and that kind of physical the physical processing of trauma I think just really noticing those and how actually how often they kind of appear in my body and just sort of yeah knowing that they're part they're part of part of me and part of the experience is um actually is actually kind of becoming quite comforting I think Mm. it's sort of like okay if this is you know this is just a feeling like today is just a day and whatever feelings kind of embody that day or embody that moment tomorrow may be even worse but it will definitely be different so these things these things they do they do pass as much as they might be part of a bigger story like these the specific feelings do pass god you sound really healthy (laughs) It's definitely a work in progress. <laughs> well, you're doing, you're doing amazingly. Thank you. And I know you brought a film out. And in the film you said, I dance through the pain. And I guess, and you say to keep the connection alive. And that's something also that I've heard um, the author Elizabeth Gilbert talk about with her partner that died, that she dances every morning. She does like a thing on Spotify where she randomly chooses a song and that's the song she'll dance to to connect to her partner that died and... I loved that. I love that idea. Is that a ritual for you, the dancing? Is that something you do every day or when you just feel like it, when you're feeling things are pretty grim and you just think, right, I'm going to, I'm going to put some music on and dance. It's yeah, it's most days. Um, It kind of definitely brings me back. It's a very, it's a very sensory experience because it brings me back to um, particular times you know there's a lot of music that I grew up with with my sister that really really brings me back to to a specific time of my life when yeah that, that I guess a real safety and I really connect it with, with with yeah with love and safety so particular song I would be able to remember the very first time I heard it the kind of the, the whole sensory kind of experience and puzzle mm. that would come together 
when I hear it and it's it's a kind of direct line to my sister I guess and that is um that's just enormously comforting and I guess I'm able to kind of recall the safety of the love with that with that action and that gesture and I really like that Mm. well that's the thing about music isn't it because you can it can take you back to any moment in your life and it can connect you to people in really powerful, powerful ways. It, it's so evocative, music. And um, yeah, I, I've really found that very powerful and very healing. It was, yeah, a sort of natural go-to at the very, from the very beginning onwards. Yeah, it's very, it's very important to me. And I think also that, I think being able to access something on a daily basis which can kind of become a bit of a ritual for connection and safe kind of unraveling of feelings you're in your own space you're you know there is a sense of togetherness even though you're you are alone when you're practicing that and it's something that you can kind of I think because of because I've done it for so long the association and the sort of the, the quick access to that sort of love and safety is really really powerful and really important to me mm. and are there any other things that you do as well as the dance the dance thing that you can tell me about I mean things that I've done for for years um which are I guess you know have a have a sort of similar sensory sort of way of processing pain I've I do meditations I've meditated for, for years really again it's that kind of I guess like being able to sort of sieve through difficulties and difficult emotions and at the end of the meditation you're kind of left with what's most important in the sieve as how I kind of visualize it and running is it was the same for many years although um, I'm less engaged with that now but for a long time running and really long distance running was something that I really needed to um, process pain particularly when my dad was dying I was I was so hugely into running Mm. and I would just sort of run until I until the sort of physicality and the sort of physical exhaustion of of exerting my body kind of took over and then yeah it was a really really strong practice for a long time because there's something about the endorphins isn't there that when you're when you're doing exercise that can help release a lot of anxiety and you get sort of feel good hormones don't you when you're doing exercise as well I think I think I've read it in uh, grief works by Julia Samuel she talks about different ways of of working through grief I think um, that's a really good it's a really useful book that one I think um Mm. I think running was really for me was really also really meditative because I didn't I don't think I got any faster in like seven years or something but because I was never sprinting or anything it was just very very long distance running and always around the city so I think also that point of connection with your environment and your surroundings is really important for me but there would be yeah of course there were definitely the endorphins you know that was a sort of natural side effect of the of the activity but it was also just about having connecting with the feeling but sort of having a bit of distance from it so I, I would often go for a run if something happened in the day which would be a trigger of trauma and before I responded 
because I because I could feel it physically kind of rising before I responded I'd go for a run and and that gap of the distance between the the trigger and the reaction would in that gap would be the running the running um really just helped to again yeah become that kind of emotional sieve and really filter out what was what was related to trauma and what was a rational response more from the fandango kid in a minute the charity we are highlighting on this episode is the incredible cruise bereavement care supporting, advising and offering information to adults, young people and children when someone dies. For more information and help or to donate, please visit www.cruise.org.uk. Now back to the Fandango Kid. I wanted to talk about the pain of grief that you've, you've talked about and this is a quote that I read somewhere that you'd said... I bet you hate this, don't you? <laughs> um, it said, I feel that in my embodying my pain and vulnerability, my grief can live alongside the rest of my life and unfold as organic, organically as it likes. It will do so anyway. The tides of grief and trauma have their own rhythm, so trying to stop them is useless. So actually making friends with the pain has been the most empowering move for me. And I think we've 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 talked about that, but there's also this sort of, thing about post-traumatic growth where experts have described it as sort of tragic optimism sort of like the human capacity to turn negative aspects into a positive and finding hope and meaning creatively to turn the negative aspects around and you've also mentioned about beauty in trauma is that something you found i think there is maybe some kind of Iron, like ironic beauty and trauma, yeah. I mean, in terms of things like other relationships that have become very close as a, a side effect of, of what has happened to me, you know, I think there are some connections with, with, with people, um, even within my family, who are still alive, which have really kind of strengthened that would never have had the time or the space or the room to have um, evolved. So there are yeah some some kind of there is some beauty in that sense and there's some beauty maybe in the sort of capacity to really go into your depths and being really kind of forced to having to have to do that so that sort of back against the wall fight or flight kind of feeling I decided to really dig deep into it and um try to understand it and try I mean try to make sense of it and and also kind of really commit a lot of my work to it. And I didn't really know what the outcomes would be at that time, but it felt like, okay, this is, this is, and, and in saying all of this, there's never been a moment where I would, I would, you know, I would have that life back in, in a flash, 100%. It's really about kind of making, finding some strength within what has happened, as opposed to sort of saying, these things, these things sort of happen for a reason because I don't believe in that. I think it's, you know, it's, it's a tragedy and there is a great deal of trauma that has happened um, and, and unfolded that, yeah, I, I sort of, I would love to have not happened, but it has happened. I think going to such great depths 
there has been, I, su- I suppose, some some beauty that has been found or some unexpected beauty, yeah. And I guess it's it's easier to, for someone to see it from the outside. For me, looking from the outside, hearing your journey and hearing how you've processed what's happened to you, is it's it just makes me think you're very courageous, you've been very brave, you've been facing those fears and it's pretty inspiring and then to see your work as a as a result of that change and you expressing within your work what's the reaction been once you got it out there what what how did people react to the words that you used about trauma and grief and it's actually always been there's always been a really I'm sort of reluctant to use the word positive because I think but but it has been um you know very encouraging and um I've had a lot of yeah a lot of really kind public response and really kind of insightful reactions as well and personal stories shared by by other people who've experienced um trauma and loss and grief so it's been very connecting very sort of binding in many ways and you know people have I think I think the public response and the sort of public feedback from the beginning has been really integral to the journey of the whole thing. So at first, like I said, there was a real urgency in putting those, you know, paste ups on up on the street and telling those very specific and very personal stories of loss of each of the people that I'd lost in New York. And that was very, that was very kind of very personal, but I really kind of, I guess I've sort of, I've, I've really navigated that kind of biting point between the personal and the kind of universal as I've gone forward because I really do want people, I want to make work that is accessible to mm. to a, a sort of broad public and some and work that can be experienced on many different levels as well so you can access it yeah you can kind of you know come into a public space and there's no there's not the same pressure as there might be in a gallery environment and you can access that work on your own terms as as a member of the public well, there's something quite exciting about being the, the, the rebel but also giving that giving that art to the world and having that I love that idea of the accessibility because the idea of for some people to go into a gallery to actually go and see something that's going to mean something it's like a barrier isn't it so it's like you've got rid of that barrier and it's just there if you're walking around and you see it and it appeals to you you know you can stop and look at it and go oh yeah yeah I can I can understand those words and I can relate to that and you can return to it if you want to as well at your own speed I think the, the one of the reasons why I've kind of always wanted to do work in the public realm actually came from those years of, of teaching after everyone died and um, a lot of the young people that I was working with in Hackney were saying you know would say to me that they just didn't feel like they had a place in a gallery and that they wouldn't they'd feel really intimidated and they didn't feel like they could access the the art world and and a a gallery space in that way and and they felt pressure to absorb the work at a certain speed I guess my main interest for many years and that's shifting a bit now but predominantly for many years was to kind of access young people and to kind of create a platform for for dialogue around really really difficult subject matters one of those being trauma and, and mental health associated with with trauma as a young woman when this happened to me when I lost everybody 
many people, there was just no outlet, you know, there were no kind of workshops, that, you know, looking at grief and lots that I could access, that I felt comfortable in going to. So I wanted to create that platform for other young people. And my process now is very different to um, to what it was when I was when I was going out and putting up personal stories around loss and grief. So when I do a public kind of commission or, or anything that I now do in the public realm um, in terms of installations or paintings, I always run maybe well at least a few weeks of engagement work with the community who are going to directly receive that work, um, depending on where it is. Hmm. So whatever I come up with in terms of an artwork or a narrative is not, it's not just coming from me. It's coming from my, the collective experience of having mm. worked with people who will receive that installation or, or piece. Because I, I think one thing that it's a little bit different when you're, when you're directly talking about your own experiences of grief or you're giving an interview or you're making work. If you're asked to kind of delve deep on in your, in terms of your personal experience, but when you're making something that is going into the public and it's going to be permanent and it's, you know, going to be engaged with and enjoyed and embraced or whatever, hopefully by that local community, you need to speak to them and you need to kind of spend time with them and understand understand them. That's kind of the process. That's how mm. it works. I'm well aware, you know, of the power of words and how that can be received and obviously, and, and I'm really, um, I'm, I've always been very kept very careful to, if, if I'm talking about grief, which, you know, I, I do know about, but I, but I know about it in terms of my own experience. I'm very careful to not be prescriptive in any, in any sense, because I know that grief and trauma is extremely specific to the, to the individual and it's extremely painful and it's extremely private for many people. And, and there are many aspects of it that are extremely private for me as well, that I kind of have shields around because it's untouchable so it's very much become a very collaborative process with yeah and and that's actually the beauty for me that's sort of the most beautiful part of how the work has evolved is that there's so much now that involves collaboration and really sort of yeah a lot of a lot of sort of deep communication between different sort of very diverse groups that and that's for me is the key I, I love that that's the sort of that's the the main sort of most interesting part of my of my work. It's also really nice to um, be able to kind of create a sort of space which is safe to share those those thoughts, you know, and to know that there's nothing that can be said in that space, that anything can be said, I guess. So often in this chat you've said about, and I've also read in some articles, you're saying it very much say this is my own experience. and And I like that because... You're not saying this is how it should be because everyone's so everyone is personal and every experience is personal and everyone deals with things in a very different way. And I wanted to ask a very sort of basic question, which was, you know, what advice could you give to others grieving right now? And and that that's not just recent grief. That's that could have happened years ago to someone and and particularly now as well, actually, while we're in lockdown, there's lots of other forms of grief going on, grief of our old life. I guess my first question is about how do people cope with ongoing grief? What are the tools that you think would be useful? For me, it's kind of just, I guess, yeah, welcoming, well, not 
Yeah, I suppose welcoming kind of, you know, when someone comes sort of comes to stay that you sort of that you that you love that you sort of like or you love or they're part of your family or whatever, but they're a bit annoying. It's a bit like that. It's kind of like, okay, hiya kind of thing. Here you are again. Yeah, that's sort of what it feels like. So the sort of knowledge that they'll always be there. It, like it will always be there as a feeling and it can show up when it wants to show up and I guess uh, and in that way removing the fear the fear around it kind of showing up and totally unraveling your day or disarming you I think when you kind of integrate integrate grief into your life as part of your life and as a part of who you are as well you're also kind of you're acknowledging the that time of your life and you're acknowledging that kind of episode and that experience and sort of trying to weave it in and that doesn't mean sort of sitting uncomfortably with trauma depending on what the trauma was as well it just sort of means that it is a part of you but it's but it's but it's only it's not the whole you know there are so many other parts of you and there are so many other ways to there is a capacity to move forward and there is a capacity to kind of have a have a present and have a future and and still tap into to that and kind of keep all things running at the same time yeah it's lovely if that makes sense yeah really nice it's I kept thinking about in my head I was thinking it's a bit like welcoming the unknown isn't it because you don't know what it's going to be in a way those feelings and that I guess after a time you do but initially it's about saying okay I have to let this work through me I have to yeah and I think the more you the more you are sitting with those feelings the more you're kind of I don't know the more that uncertainty the more you get to know your body and the more you get to know who you are and I think there is this I do think deep down underneath all of the kind of trauma and pain and loss and grief is this is this this part of ourselves which will kind of that sort of hold the hand of the grief if you like you know and I think sort of it is available and it is there I guess that's also I think sitting with the feelings is also maybe about sort of sitting with yourself and trusting yourself to, to know that it, you can push through it and also that it's a non-linear thing so it does sort of double back and come back and sort of it is very surprising still when it when it comes you said in the past that you see death and life as a circle and it's kind of like energy renewing itself and how we look at death differently and sort of reimagining it I just wanted to ask you about that and because I very much feel the same obviously we're doing death but um I was curious to know <laughs> I was curious to know how you saw that and that conversation how we can take that forward and how we can evolve the conversation around death to, to make things like grief more accepted and allow uh, ways of um helping people to cope with that without it being a taboo subject yeah I think for me personally I I think I have definitely kind of been able to to tap into energy sort of energy of people that I've lost sort of within myself so whether that is from it kind of being in my genes or whether it is from recalling an experience or, um, you know, what I was saying about dancing and being able to kind of recall that time of safety and connection with someone. I think that's, I think also coming from a family where the characters were very, were very strong and the kind of idea of how to live your life was also very 
very strong. Um, I think that's that there has been a sort of real guiding force in many ways in sort of thinking about how to go forward and how to sort of navigate the, the present and the future. So it does feel, I think we are, as a society, we, we're, we've been very used to talking about this sort of A to B point, you know, and you so you're, you're alive and then you're dead and then that's it kind of thing. And with this sort of a cutoff when we sort of stop talking or we're not able to sort of open up uncomfortable feelings because they because they don't have because we don't really have any answers and people like that certainty they don't just like just sort of they don't like suggestions or kind of nuances they like certainty when they're dealing with difficult things and there is no certainty and just like well not just like but at the moment there is also no no certainty and we're you know living in a time where everything is sort of so constantly changing and our, and our feelings and our responses our responses to that are changing because we because it's unprecedented and we haven't dealt with that before so I think just death is something we you know we haven't been into that realm we don't know anything about it but at the same time it's not just energetically I just don't I don't see it as a sort of cut and dry ending or because we can still have a relationship with those that have died right through however we want to connect with them yeah and thinking about legacy and thinking about mm. you know okay what what is it that you want to take forward and from your kind of what you've learned from your ancestors and what is it that you want to leave behind and you know that's quite an empowering feeling to navigate because you're able to sort of pay respect to what has been but you're also able to take charge of your future and kind of empower your that journey forward yourself what do you feel is next for you you know what particularly being in lockdown have you been thinking about what you want to do next I think um I I want to start making more work for the public realm but not necessarily in painting kind of mural form but actually working more digitally and telling stories in that way initially before the lockdown I wanted to start making work for clubs um Mm. and kind of thinking about togetherness and dancing and and so now I think depending on how things unravel and unfold I'd really like to yeah to sort of start telling stories internationally in different landscapes and settings like about that sort of feeling of being sort of alone but together and you know how that kind of Mm. how that might work moving forward I love that alone but together because we are we are aren't we really yeah (laughs) But it's the connections. And we're finding more ways to connect than than, than possibly ever um, because we, we are in a situation where that we haven't ever been in before. And I think you're really seeing some beautiful acts of solidarity and community against all the odds, actually, in many ways. And kindness and support. Yeah. You know, I've I've met people on my street which who I didn't even know existed, you know, who've yeah. lent me a red pepper for a curry or <laughs> whatever and um i love that and i really hope that continues it's like why is it taken a global pandemic to borrow a pepper from my neighbor i mean when you think about it that way you think actually it was all here we just didn't appreciate I think that's it. right i think the whole the whole sort of fra- um, structure and you know all of the kind of seeds were there but i do think it it gets clouded by all of the other sort of demands on our life and the pressures and you know when it's all stripped away and stripped back all of the all of the sort of foundations are actually there in all of us and it's and you know in some ways this experience of everything being stripped away 
and just having to sort of focus on putting one foot in front of each other and that day-to-day feeling is actually, you know, there have been some shades of what it felt like to grieve initially as well. A couple of other friends have said that to me who've had strong grief experiences. So, yeah, there's been a bit of familiarity in some ways. Mm. Well, um, I just wanted to read you something actually to end with, which I thought was really beautiful um, that I'd read on your website. Um, you can be bold and gentle hearted. You can be soft and a warrior power in vulnerability. That's I felt, I felt like that describes you. Um, sure. Obviously it, it spoke to me, but I love, I love the nuances between being bold, but gentle being a warrior, but being a soft warrior, sort of allowing that vulnerability. Would you say that describes you or is that just something you believe that's... No, that, that is, that is, I mean, that's something that I think the softness is something that I've been trying to embrace a lot more getting older. I've kind of been, you know, there's been a lot of unlearning as well. And I think it's, so I was brought up to sort of be really tough and to not really kind of, being too emotional about things and, and that there's been a real unlearning as I kind of have got older and, and I think that's really impacted on my sort of relationship with those lost as well because I think you you know you can grieve for people and really it's a measure of the love certainly but it's also that thing that I was saying about legacy and how you want to how you want to move forward and the the sort of the bold stuff and the sort of all the there is a boldness definitely within me but there's also another part which is much softer that I really want to cultivate and have been trying to cultivate as the years go on and I think you know in my work and in general as a person but um but that's been that's been something that I've had to learn I think it's easier I've found like historically it's always been easier to sort of have that default kind of bold warrior sort of behavior than it is to be gentle and soft and it's it's like we're getting into Brené Brown territory isn't it about being vulnerable but it is that it is about allowing that allowing us to be vulnerable and I think you've done that in your work because I think putting your thoughts and feelings out there I think that is about being vulnerable it you're doing it in a bold way but behind that is just this emotion and this vulnerability and it's it's really beautiful so thank you and thank you for having this chat it's been really really lovely hearing your thoughts thank you the fandango kids film into your light is available to watch on she does films with the z.com and to see more of the fandango kids work go to www.fandangokid.com All links will be in the show notes for this episode.